0: a child can't learn the way we teach. Maybe we should teach the way they learn. That's a quote from Ignacio Estrada. Welcome to Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Heal. Today, I am welcoming Carrie Yana She is a therapist. I think I have a lot of therapists on here, which is fabulous. A therapist, <laughs> a dyslexia advocate, and a clinic coach, which is something we'll talk about a little later. Welcome,
1: Carrie. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Me too. I can't wait to hear about your journey um, to becoming a dyslexia advocate, especially because as, a, as an educator, I know students who have been diagnosed with dyslexia. And as their teacher, I never really knew ways to appropriately teach them the way that they learn. So I'm interested in hearing a little bit about your journey, if you don't mind sharing um, mm-hmm. from the beginning, if you don't mind either. Tell us where you started with this journey and, and, and how you ended up where you are right now.
1: Sure, absolutely, and feel free to interrupt me because I love to <laughs> chit-chat. Um,
0: so, the good thing you're on the podcast because that's what, <laughs> that's what you do on podcasts.
1: <laughs> um, so it's interesting you're a teacher and you said, you know, I've had dyslexic mm-hmm. students before. What people often don't realize is that between one in five and one in six kids actually has dyslexia. It is the most common learning disability that exists, and it exists between cultures, languages, it's around the globe. Wow, and I had no idea of
0: those stats, that's impressive.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot. And um, I think it's such a massive, there's such a massive pool of people who have this learning disability, but there doesn't seem to be that much in the media nope. that brings that out. So for example, if one in five people, uh, let's say had, heart disease. One in five kids had heart disease. That would be all over the media. Shocking. Yep. It would be shocking, right? Yeah. So it and it's and also
0: kids. it's also not prevalent in, in public education either. You would think if one in five kids, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that's equitable in education and teaching. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even know. I can't even come up with a, a stat that would even be equitable, I don't think. But if we knew one in five, one in five kids of dyslexia, we certainly would be teaching them differently.
1: Yes, yes. And what we also know is, and I'll get more into this later if you wanna know um, my my basic rundown of the neurobiology. Um, We also know that it's a learning difference that is due to a neurobiological difference in the brain. So the brains of dyslexics actually function and work differently And we know this from functional MRI studies and a lot of different studies out there, we understand that it actually works differently. Therefore, when you teach English, we need to be taught language in a certain way so that we can understand it. Um, But actually the beautiful thing is, the way that we best understand it is to approach it using phonics, which used to be greatly used in teaching kids to read and everybody can benefit from being taught phonics basically Mm -hmm. um it's like a little bit extra in in the reading education um but so anyways you had asked me about about my life um i started off uh loving kindergarten let me just tell you that was my favorite (laughs) grade ever because it's the best grade ever It's the best grade ever. Um, I loved school. I loved preschool. I loved kindergarten Um, part. I mean, I can remember literally my kindergarten classroom and all of the different stations in there. And I loved that kindergarten, there was a lot of kinetic learning. Obviously, I did not know that was the term back then, but the kinetic Um, learning. FYI, not during
0: COVID, there's not. Go on.
1: Oh, right. Oh, gosh, I can't even imagine. So I vividly remember being so excited to just rock it off to first grade and showed up at school and within one week, it was very obvious to me that there was something wrong inherently with me. Because all of a sudden I'm supposed to sit in a desk, stare at a board, transcribe from the board to the paper, and then also simultaneously not be distracted by anybody around me at all. Right. <laughs> and I'm looking to the left and to the right. Well, and what are they screen. doing,
0: right? Especially if right? you're not sure what you're doing and you're not, you don't know, you just have to like, well, what, what's everyone else doing? And of course yeah, so you're gonna looking- get in so much trouble, so much exactly, trouble.
1: Exactly, right. And so I'm looking around and everybody's, you know looking at the board and copying the words. And I mean, I could look at the board, I could see she's writing letters but i couldn't simultaneously also listen because it took so much effort to look at the letters and then try to get that same letter down on the paper was tracking so to,
0: difficult for you because you weren't sure the order of the letters because what was dif- what part
1: was difficult if you can you can you isolate well,
0: that now yes, as an adult or
1: yes yes so um with dyslexia the the problem is that we have trouble associating a sound with a letter. So if the teacher were to say which letter says ba, you know, or what letter says ah, we wouldn't necessarily be able to retrieve that information very quickly. Um, so as the teacher's writing A, B, C, yeah, I know the alphabet and I would know, um, I know the, the song, the alphabet song, mm-hmm. but put three letters together, well, all of a sudden, it's really hard for me to pull out, well, mm-hmm. okay, wait, what does that first letter say? C- c- oh, that's a C, a C says what, what does it say? That process is a lot longer. So it's harder for me to, you know, when I was younger, learn the, the, the phenoms and then to be able to regurgitate it back out.
0: Mm-hmm. Recall and then blend, which is, a lot of steps, name the letter, remember the sound of the letter, then remember that you have to take that letter and then attach it to the next letter, which is what's the name of that letter. <laughs> it's just exactly.
1: a process. Yeah, exactly. And what we know now is a lot of uh, dyslexics. We also tend to have a poor working memory, which means, you know, if the longer the letter, right? the more The more you're trying to store in your working memory. So by the time you get to the end of the letter, or the end of the word, you've already forgotten what the first part was. So sometimes I could even read the word, but that doesn't necessarily mean I even remember what I just read. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then words attach together to create sentences and sentences create paragraphs. And that's why we have kids who can get through an entire paragraph and read it, but have no comprehension whatsoever. Right. So.
0: That was that me. Was- I think that's still me. I don't think I'm dyslexic, but I definitely have some sort of, I mean, I might be, but I have, I definitely have some sort of reading on paper comprehension issues. I have to hear it. So mm-hmm.
1: I, and you know, the, the irony is that my last name is 10 letters long. It's well, I was not going to,
0: time. I was going to make a joke. I was going to make a joke about it. And I'm like, no, that's poor. It's in poor taste, but that's just who I am. I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine having dyslexia and spelling this
1: word? there's so many nouns in it and good lord it's yeah it's not it's not the it's like the most
0: but it has like yana shot it has like the most vowels
1: i think i've seen in i know
0: right (laughs)
1: which are the trickiest of all the sounds (laughs) so in first grade you know it was difficult i was the kid that had all the homework just crammed into the bottom of the backpack because I was just always a step behind. By the time she gave the the homework assignment, I was trying to finish up the writing assignment.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Back then, you know, like 80s and 90s, if I didn't finish the in-school assignment, I was held in during recess. And the the horrible irony. In first grade, yes. And so I would have to sit inside doing that writing assignment. When you really needed to go outside and run around, probably. Yes, and do you know what? Like the most evil part of that whole part of, of that sitting inside was was that I was right near the window and I could see the playground and of all the course. kids having mm-hmm. fun. Um, so,
0: so here's some so, good news: they don't do things like that anymore, at least where I work.
1: Yes, no, I don't think they do anymore. And um, that yeah. was yeah, that very backwards. Um, but it was it was a punitive system back then. It was assumed that kids that weren't doing that work on time in class, weren't focused, they weren't trying. Um, so anyway, so at the end of first grade, second grade, you know, I had done summer school each year. Then my parents got a call, look, we, we think something's going on. Uh, uh-huh. she's, she's just missing too much. So they got me tested and um, the testing was kind of inconclusive. It was, you know, we think she has a, a reading challenge or comprehension issue. Um, yeah, she has trouble spelling. Yeah, she has some tr- problems, you know, point out the math facts, which also goes with um, dyslexia a lot. So they got me tested, but it really didn't say anything conclusively. Right. And um, we now know that a lot of the terminology on that testing I had, it's the, all the red flags for dyslexia. But back then, you know, they, it, it didn't raise enough red flags basically. Mm-hmm. So then I just keep coasting through elementary school. And to be honest with you, a lot of it was cheating and looking at my, my friend's tests and, you know, just doing my homework and at home and my parents would check it. So I had that accountability, but to get through tests, I did a lot of cheating and not proud of it, not ashamed either, but it, it was my, constant. well, quite frankly. Yeah. I was going to say that was your strategy, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then, in, and then in fifth grade, I got caught. So for some reason, the assignment, it seems like it was about a thousand words. We had to memorize all these prepositions and then we had to write them down on a piece of paper for the test. And I had studied all the prepositions with my mom that night and I knew them all. I had them all memorized and I got to school the next day and I went to write them down. And I just couldn't retrieve them. Like maybe I could do 5 out of 20, let's say. Right. And um I cheated. I started to look at my friend's paper and it was the first time I got caught. Yeah. Just absolutely caught red-handed cheating. The teacher took the paper off my desk and sent me outside to sit on the the chair of shame outside the classroom and Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was convinced I was just crying. I'm going to get sent to the principal's office. And instead um, she called my mom who had to leave work early and have a meeting after school. And so I'm trying to get through the rest of the day. Now I know my mom's coming in for the meeting. My mom arrives, the teacher says, okay, Carrie, go sit, sit outside again. You know, that chair of shame. I sat outside. I just knew the second that door opened, I was just going to be in so much trouble because here are two women I highly respected. And that sense of shame and self-esteem, all of that just came pouring out. And I knew I had disappointed these two, two women who I really respected. And instead, what happened is the door opened and my mom said, hi, honey, gave me a really big hug. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then my teacher, Miss Harvey said, okay, Carrie, I'll see you tomorrow. And she had a really big smile on her face. And then as we're walking out of the school, my mom said, let's go get you a Sunday. And <laughs> It wasn't even like a Baskin-Robbins Sunday. She took me to this little cute ice cream boutique that had opened up. And I mean, so I was really confused. That was like the special place to go. And I'm like, why am I going there when I've just cheated? And it turned out the conversation my mom had with Miss Harvey was, look, uh, she knew all of it last night. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why she cheated. She couldn't recall the information but she knew the information. And so that kind of alerted Miss Harvey, oh, there's something more going on. And, you know, obviously over the ice cream Sunday, which was delicious. Um, <laughs> you remember, I like, love that. <laughs> yeah, I remember, do you know what I remember? It had strawberry flavored whipped cream. It was Gosh, delightful. That sounds so I, really nice. <laughs> it was so, yeah, so posh, I loved it. Um, and over the ice cream uh, or the ice cream sundae, you know, my mom did say, okay, let's, let's try to let's try to get that cheating under control though. Right. I mean, the message was definitely there, which was good, but there was just no shame associated with it because they realized, obviously this was a coping skill. So again, um, got tested again. And again, the results were the same. It was, you know, gosh, we just don't know what's going on. So at the end of grade six, my dad's job took us to Africa and we moved to Cairo, Egypt. Oh my gosh. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it was fantastic. I loved living there, but I can tell you what, if they didn't know what to do with the dyslexic in the States, they sure as heck did not know in Cairo, Egypt, what to do with me. And it was again, just the same message to my parents, you know, at different conferences, she's really bright. She knows information in class, bombs the tests. Um, And so they put me in a study skills class so I could learn proper study skills, but none of that helps if you can't if you can't retain the information. So they were trying to give me interventions, so and my parents were giving me tutors, but all of it was really the, the wrong type. What I really needed was somebody who is, they're called cult, CALT, C-A-L-T um, specialists. And that's the type of reading therapy that I needed. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they didn't, I don't know if they didn't have it back then or if it was just a lot more rare. Um, to have to have that type of tutoring, you know what that but, stands for? Um, yes, it stands for Certified Academic Language Therapist. So it's very different than a reading specialist. It's actually a highly certified reading interventionist. Um, you. you know, Thanks. they 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 approach reading um, multi sensory, very you know, focusing on on the phenoms and. Phenom- um, what do you say? Phenomic, phenomic awareness. awareness. Yeah, <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very specific, specific tutoring. But instead, the tutoring I was getting was, okay, you're failing science. Let's get you a science teacher. Oh my gosh, you're failing math. Let's get a math teacher. Okay, right. wait. And that's
0: really not the issue. The issue is you need to understand what you're reading in order to do any of those subjects.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we didn't have access to um, Learning Ally to get books on tapes or anything like that. I'm not audio books so um yeah so it was challenging so i ended up um leaving egypt after several years and got back to the states finished high school squeaked into college i ended up going to ohio state university and the first two years were just pure hell um, because you're taking all those core classes And again, it was still that same approach, just a tutor for every class I needed help in. It was having someone review all of my essays and papers. Um, A lot of times it would be, I would write my paper, fax it to my mom. She would do the spelling corrections, call me, tell me how to fix my paper, what was spelled wrong, where the grammar mistakes were, and then I would turn it in. So it was just a, a lot of buffering support that got yeah. me through those first two years. Right. And um, and then I w- I got my BFA, which was my bachelor's of fine arts. So the by my junior year of college, now I'm in all of these art classes. And I started to have some success because I was in all these classes that I loved and I was really good at. And now I'm starting to get A's and you could have just blown me away or knocked me over with a feather. I didn't think I could get A's. And so I ended up finishing my BFA, and I had a fantastic portfolio and had done some art gallery shows, and I applied for graduate school to become an art teacher, and the only reason, I know for a fact, the only reason I got into arts or to my master's for art education was because I had a really strong art portfolio, Mm -hmm. and that first, I guess, couple weeks in my master's program, I had imposter syndrome all over the place. Of Um, course, yeah. They're going to, they're going to find out that I, I can't do this. And then I got back a paper and it, I had to do like a critique of, of like a sculpture or something. I can't remember the exact sign, but I got back my first paper in grad school and I got an A and it was wow. like a 96. It was, it was a high A. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait, and all of a sudden I was like, I didn't realize it then, but, but like this feeling was kind of coming over me. And I remember calling my parents, I said, Oh, my gosh, I got an A on my first paper. I, I think I'm going to try for straight A's in grad school. And my parents were like, Whoa, 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 whoa. wait, <laughs> slow down, like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. And, you know, they just didn't want me to become overwhelmed in grad school. And um, I was like, No, no. And it was the way I compare it to is, um, you know, if you see horse races, the horses are kind of all in that pen and they're ready to go, rearing to go right before the the window opens up and then they they fly out. That's how I was. I just could feel this building momentum inside me. And now I know what it is. And the word for it is hope. I had this little tiny glimmer of hope with that. You can do it
0: all by yourself. You can do it.
1: Yeah, and it took me till after 20, twenty years, <laughs> twenty one years, wow. and I got my first A on a paper. Wow. Yes, and so it it gave me this glimmer of hope, and I built from there, and I ended up with a four O graduating from graduate school, and then I went on for um, a second master's in clinical social work and became a therapist. So I love
0: that that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it, it's uh, it's amazing what hope does. But a lot of our dyslexic kids right now in school, that's the one thing they don't have is hope.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of, it's getting better, but there's a lot of everyone needs to learn the same, produce the same, look the same,
1: Mm -hmm. act the same.
0: Um, Again, it's getting better. And there are definitely districts that are more uh, forward thinking than others, Um, but Mm -hmm. it it is, it's tough. It's I feel like education needs a bit of an an overhaul as far as that goes, not only financially and funding-wise, but also, you know.
1: And and that is one of the things that it's really expensive to tutor dyslexics, because the the ideal tutoring um, scenario, according to the Dyslexic, the International Dyslexia Education um, Association, is an hour- of individual therapy, reading therapy, per day, three to five days a week. And a traditional public school can't really do that.
0: Unless, of course, they're tested and uh, uh, identified and um, someone advocates for that, for their individual learning plans, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Which creates a lot of parents who are advocates. um, And, you know, which takes me to you know, I was a mother, I, I still am a mother of a child, <laughs> of a child with dyslexia. Um, and when he first got diagnosed, um, it, there was a part of me that was just kind of crushed knowing that life was going to be that much, much more of a challenge for him.
0: Um, but, thank but, God also, you,
1: but thank God you had the experience you did. Yes, exactly. And so I think, think, I mean, it was definitely, I definitely had though people supporting me in those beginning years um, because in the beginning, when you're a dyslexic and your child is diagnosed, you have a lot of fears rush over you and you understand how difficult that's going to be in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing you also know is there can, great things can still come. Like dyslexics think incredibly. We make great entrepreneurs. I mean, who is it? Um, Branson, he, the one who owns Virgin airline, he's like probably the richest dyslexic out there. <laughs> um, you know, so we can do fantastic things that we, we don't have to have limits on ourselves, but if we don't set the kids up for success early on, that's where they become limited. That's right. Um, so yeah, so I was able to guide my son through this journey of dyslexia. Um, and the way I describe it to the parents that I work with is it's like, I already had the map. I knew what it looked like. I knew what dyslexia looked like. I knew where the pitfalls were going to be. I knew uh-huh. where, you know, the road would curve and knock you down and your self-esteem would be in the dirt. Right. I already kind of knew all of that. A lot of parents, when they first get that diagnosis that their child has dyslexia, if they don't, if they're not familiar with what dyslexia is, um, you know, they think, can my kid ever learn to read? Is my kid gonna right. like pass eighth That's grade? overwhelming.
0: That's overwhelming because we are teaching them how to
1: read in kindergarten now. Yeah, yeah. It, right, and isn't it, you know, grades, what is it, kindergarten through three, you're learning to read, and three on, you're reading to learn. And if you don't know how to read, it's really hard to learn, um, so. I might argue so, that they even expect them to learn,
0: read to learn, learn to or, read in kindergarten. Yikes. Yeah. What did you just read? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so, so as a parent, you know, I had that hindsight now I, and I've had, I'd had a lot of success under my belt, um, professionally. So I knew that he wasn't going to be limited by dyslexia. So definitely, you know, that first year was tough. Um, and when he was in grade. Three, we moved to Saudi Arabia. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, so my <laughs> husband's job took us to Saudi Arabia, and um, when we got there, basically you can't have your kid tested till you get to Saudi Arabia at the time because of visa restrictions, and it's really hard to get all the visas aligned. So the schools, the way they have it, is you you land and then you get your testing done there, and it became pretty obvious that the schools, like the American school said, "Oh, well, we don't." we don't accept any dyslexic kids at our school. Like he can't even take the test. And I said, oh, well, no, he's had all this tutoring and he had the the phonics tutoring. No, we don't, I'm sorry, just carte blanche, we don't do it. And that was the American International School of Riyadh. Wow. Yep. And then um, we went to, um, there were two other schools in that town and both of them had really just, I already knew the what we needed. We needed uh-huh. to have that, um, economic awareness. We needed to have the phonics approach and the schools, you know, what they said was, well, we can pull him out, you know, once or twice a week um, or one school. said, well, we can give him a scribe to read and write for him. And I was like, well, but, okay, but that's not actually teaching him, teaching him how to read. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's teaching him to really interact well with someone else. And <laughs> great. That's great. You know, if, if later on you have an assistant who can do all of that, but in these younger years, we really needed to have him bolstered and learn that himself, and um, he he couldn't get into any schools there.
0: Oh my the god! Dyslexia.
1: And what do you do? So, well, do you know what I did? I got oh. on a plane and went to Bahrain, which is you know good thing I grew up in the Middle East, right? So I get on the plane to Bahrain with my son, and we look for schools there. And guess what? It's the same thing. Dyslexia is not accepted at most of these schools, and then I got desperate, and I called to my school in Egypt that I had gone to and they said, well, we have one learning disability classroom for dyslexics, it's a two year wait. And at that point, I didn't know what to do. I called and spoke to a couple of my friends and I spoke to my friend Rania and we were actually emailing back and forth and her son had dyslexia in Egypt, she's Egyptian. She actually moved all the way to Canada and got into a master's program so that she could get him to a country that had the right um interventions for dyslexia seems how it, insane insane absolutely insane right that yep. that mm-hmm. is the strides that parents have to go to so what i realized quickly within four months of being in saudi arabia my husband got his dream job everything crumbled in four months because my son had dyslexia we got on a plane and had to move back to the states that's so my husband my husband's now on a different continent and then that is when I became a dyslexia advocate. I was like, okay, this is just bonkers.
0: I can't. Why, why doesn't Richard Branson do something for dyslexics and have some sort of? Does he have any kind? I wonder. I mean, this is where my brain goes. I'm like, he could do so much.
1: <laughs> you know, right? I think he. I think he does. Oh, good. In some ways, Hope but so. I don't know if he. I. I don't know if you know. He definitely speaks to it, but he doesn't necessarily have. I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but he doesn't necessarily have that. No, I'm going to look it up when we get off here
0: because I want to know if he has, he should have a nonprofit.
1: He should have the Richard Branson School for Dyslexia yeah, where everybody I, yeah. can just go. Wouldn't yeah. that be fantastic?
0: Yeah, and it should be virtual so everyone can access it. Mm-hmm. You, know,
1: you know a celebrity who's pretty fantastic though when it comes to dyslexia is the Fonz from Happy Days. Oh, Henry, even, Winkler. Henry, Henry Winkler. Henry <laughs> Winkler And um, once I became a dyslexia advocate, um, we got back to the States. I got Luca into a special school for dyslexia in the States. And I was able to breathe kind of like a sigh of relief knowing that he was getting the right education he needed for the way he learns. And that's when I was like, okay, how, what do I do? What do I use as my platform? And I'm a marathon swimmer. And so I decided, you know what? Okay, I'm going to use my marathon swimming and use that as a platform because mm-hmm. it's a freak it's a freak sport that nobody really gets or understands. So you, so you get a little bit of You're shock right. value. Yeah.
0: You're definitely yeah. not speaking my language here, but go on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So um <laughs> that's right. We had talked about swimming
0: yeah, people, yeah. Everyone who knows me knows that I don't like water and I absolutely <laughs> don't know how to swim. Period. So, so I had
1: I typed into the computer just to see are there any other swimmers out there. Doing something for dyslexia. I probably put in swimming and dyslexia. And this guy, Dean Braganier, pops up and mm-hmm. he was starting a nonprofit. It's called No Disability, and it's for upper elementary and middle schoolers. And it's programs that teach them all about different career paths that d- dyslexics shine in so there's he and so he has different um, year long or i think maybe semester long modules so that these kids can get can get this education early on and know oh wait my brain works this way that means i'm really good i'm going to be good at engineering oh there's a whole entire one on the arts because dyslexics are fantastic artists there's one on entrepreneurship because we we just thrive having our own businesses and you know, we think outside of the box a lot of times. Absolutely. Yep. Do things your own way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I got in touch with Dean and then I started raising money for his nonprofit through my swims and, um, started carry swims for dyslexia. And it was just a Facebook group and it was tracking all my stupid long distance swimming, um, But the big one was I swam from Catalina Island to mainland California, which was 20 miles. And while I was swimming that, Dean had a kid's relay out in um, outside of Boston. I think I can't remember if it was Martha's Vineyard. He did it or off of Boston. I think it was. And so they were doing a relay, an open water relay while I simultaneously was doing my swim um, in Catalina. Well,
0: listen, I am from the Boston area. I would much rather, if I were able to swim, probably swim Catalina to <laughs> than Boston.
1: <laughs> and so I was able to use all of the strength from my swimming as an open water swimmer and build these analogies between that and dyslexia. Because, mm-hmm. you know, after a few hours of swimming, I mean, my gosh, like you're just wondering where is land? And you look up and you still can't see it. You're in the middle of a channel, you can't see land anywhere. And it feels, you know, that's even frightening. A...
0: That is literally what my nightmares are made of. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> thanks, <a> Carrie.
1: <laughs> and then occasionally you have like this massive cargo ship that goes by and it's oh my really, God. Funny. It's, a, it's a really fun sport, but you know, when you're out in the middle of the channel, even you know, the best of the marathon swimmers, you do have that little voice in the back of your head. Can I make it? Yeah. You know, is this challenge too big? And so, so the, the swimming, the channel swimming just kind of became this natural platform to bring awareness of the strengths of dyslexics, but also the struggles that we have.
0: That's fabulous. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. you're welcome. I so many, I, so many questions popped up as you were chatting and I for, have forgotten all of them.
1: <laughs> well, let me just while you're trying to figure out never while you're back. trying to remember. I have to tell you on that swimming Catalina, I had a whale swim with me for a little That's while. Is that what's is that what is behind you in a
0: picture? Because i I am literally <laughs> obsessed with whatever that is and it looks like a whale.
1: Here I'll show you. It's oh a whale my on
0: the God. That's beautiful. So that's one t- of. I'm just going to tell people what I'm responding to. Yes. It's just this whale looking up and there's a tiny sailboat at the top of the ocean. And, and the view is like the whale under the ocean. Are you swimming in that picture?
1: Anyway? <laughs> I'm not swimming in that you picture. You need to
0: add, you. Yeah, just put a little, little, little person sticker on the top. Oh my God. I, I love
1: that. I love that because when I work with these parents with dyslexia and so they can learn how to support their kids. One of my pictures I have in my branding is me pointing up at that whale and it says, don't let dyslexia swallow you because that's how you feel.
0: I can imagine, I person. can imagine. Wow, that's amazing. So how, how old is your son now? How is he doing?
1: Um, he's doing fabulously. He's 15, wow. he's in ninth, ninth grade. Um, so he was at a wonderful school called the Briarwood School here in Houston, Texas. And they did an absolute phenomenal job of um, teaching them how to read, teaching them how to write. I will say he is still one of the worst spellers you'll ever find. But it's thank okay. God for technology, right? Right. Yep. I'm one of the I am one of the worst spellers too. So I told him. Yeah, right but now.
0: technology is there to help us, and it, and if it helps us to produce, I call it you know like output, then and yes. let it. Everyone needs a little accommodations. Every yes, and, while,
1: yeah. and I think it's important for parents to hear this part because my son, his, his diagnosis, when we first sat down with the um, doctor, the psychologist who does all of the psych ed testing, she said to me, Carrie, um, it's really important you know this. Um, he has dyslexia. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I kind of thought that probably. She's like, it's the most profound dyslexia I've ever seen in my entire career. And as a mom, that was like a knife through the heart.
0: I can imagine. But, Were you grateful for that delivery or would you have rather it differently? What's your, what's your feeling being someone who has d- dyslexia yourself and then knowing that your son does?
1: To be honest with you, I well, uh, this is what I tell parents. Um, I wish I had that label when I was growing up. Uh, so many parents are fighting, you know, not wanting their kids to have a label to follow them through school. I would have loved to have known I specifically had dyslexia. You know, it wasn't until so many years later that I learned it, but it was after, but it was was after so many failed interventions, right? Uh And so instead my label, instead of dyslexia, my label was an idiot. My label was I'm stupid. My label was imposter. Can't learn, yeah. Yep, I don't fit in, I'm different. So my son, so I do tell people the story. So he got the interventions he needed really early on from grade three till grade eight. He was at the Briarwood school. He got fantastic intervention. And um, when he went at the end of seventh grade, he was getting his, he gets tested, you know, every three years dyslexics get tested for their psych education um, evaluation. And um, she was like, he's ready, Carrie. he's ready. And we assumed he was going to be at that school till 12th grade. And she was like, he's ready. He's ready to fly. And we were like, oh, no. And that was a whole nother learning curve. We're like, what are we going to do? And we knew that public school was still going to be too large for him. Um, the schools here in Texas, you know, everything's bigger in Texas. So <laughs> we, just knew, we just knew that that wasn't going to be a good fit. So we we had to look at the private schools. And he um, applied to five, four or five private college prep schools, and got accepted to every single one. Good for him. That's amazing. So I tell I, parents, I'm like, it, we can have successes. We can have successes. The thing
0: that I get worried about and nervous about is that what about the parents who can't send their kids to a school that specializes in dyslexia, who can't afford it?
1: Absolutely. Or the parents who who work many jobs yep. And and can't afford to even take off to go like my mom did yep. yeah. to that, that teacher conference. Mm-hmm. I recognize, believe me, I recognize so much the privilege that we have.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm not definitely not saying that. I just am wondering like what on earth, you know, there's so many parents who struggle with their child's education and just know, seeing it firsthand um, and yes. understanding what's available to them, like even just understanding what's available to them. There are so many parents who wouldn't even know what to do next with that diagnosis, you know?
1: Well, and, and, and honestly, the school districts don't know what to do with that diagnosis, right? And so how can we expect parents to know? And, and we almost need to have um, parent, well, and I think this is the dyslexia community, this is what we do. You know, once our kids are old enough, right? And they're kind of launching, that's when we go back and support all the parents who are just learning. I think right, that's a this, great
0: idea. You've got to build a community of people who can support one another and have have the um, resources to share.
1: And and all of the advice that that we were given, and then also how that advice changes over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but definitely the kids in public schools, and right now in in Texas, it's it's not great. Um, we just lost federal funding. I think it was thirty million dollars. We lost because. Texas didn't use the dyslexia funding appropriately, and we got into a federal lawsuit, and the federal government gave them a slap on the wrist and said, this is dyslexia money, it's for learning disabilities. Texas did not use it, and And they lost lost it. Yeah, when you don't use the money, you lose it, so you have to find a way to use it. Um, well, yeah, they used it. They just used it in the wrong areas and they got caught.
0: <laughs> think about all the kids who are suffering now because of that. That's a shame. It's No, it, it's it's horrendous.
1: It's absolutely horrendous.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for telling us that, that story of hope, actually, and overcoming. Um, I think we're going to take a real quick break right now. But when we come back, can we talk about how someone can either follow you, contact you. Um, If there are more resources that you think we should promote here on this episode, feel free, we'll talk about that as well. Again, I know some parents who would really benefit from hearing this episode. So whatever resources you can share with us, um, that would be fabulous. But we'll be back in just
1: a second. Okay, thank you.
0: If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Thank you so much for coming back. I am here with Carrie Yanashanis, and we're talking a bit about dyslexia, which is such an interesting topic for me as a teacher, because I have definitely interacted with and tried to teach children who have been diagnosed with dyslexia. So this is a fabulous episode um, as a teacher to learn more. So thanks again, Carrie, for being on.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, I wanted to touch on, um, just, oh, I was just going to say hard... that I was actually, going to I was going
0: to say, <laughs> we, I was going to say over the break, we were chatting a bit, not only about the biological, um, makeup of a person who has been diagnosed with dyslexia, but also the, um, ramifications of, Uh, mental illness at this, if someone is struggling in school and learning. So yes, absolutely go for it. Touch base. Let's touch base on the biological components of somebody's brain and how it Mm -hmm. is different. Um, So,
1: yeah. So what we know is that there is a neurobiological difference in the way our brains work compared to people who don't have dyslexia. Um, And it's not just that one part of the brain Right. works a little bit differently. It's that multiple parts of our brains work differently. So we have the frontal lobe, which we know is responsible for speech, executive functioning, reasoning, planning, that part of our brain works mm-hmm. differently. Then we have the, okay, this is the lobe we were debating. How do we parietal. pronounce it? The parietal, parietal lobe. So <laughs> even as an adult dyslexic who has studied all of this, I still have trouble finding pronunciations That's sometimes. okay. We all do. Um, so it's all okay. I, yeah. But I think it's interesting, you know, people, I think, think you get over dyslexia, but you actually have it your whole life. <laughs> but your brain hasn't changed, right? So why would it be any different? No, exactly. We learn some workarounds, but we still have certain things that are a little bit more difficult. But so we have, you know, how do we say it again? The parietal? Oh, parietal. <laughs> parietal. There you go. I have the, I have the, what oh, what is that joke? I have the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Oh, that's so fun. Emphasis, yes. <laughs> emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Um, so anyway, so we have that. We have the temporal lobe. We have the left temporal area. We have all of these different areas that are required to have an efficient brain to process language. And then, then even the, the gray matter and the white matter, the gray matter, that is part of the phonological awareness. And the white matter... Helps as a nerve transfer, it's a nerve, basically it helps the nerves transfer information between the different lobes. Mm -hmm. So when you have all these different areas of the brain working differently, it's no wonder. You can't
0: can't be taught the same as everybody whose brain is working similarly.
1: Yes, you, you can't be taught the same. So what we also know is that the front right part of our brains light up more when we're reading. And actually it should be the back left part of the brain that should be lighting up for language. So, so when we're working with kids and they're not getting the right intervention, and even when they are getting the right intervention, it's taxing on the brain and it's no wonder, right? When they, when kids are getting all of these, uh, unfortunately negative, um, negative messages and then they're also getting negative messages about themselves that they're so different right is it any wonder that it's hard to learn to read
0: And then they start to struggle
1: with self-confidence that's right anxiety
0: depression there's so much that goes into it and they're 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 um internalizing all of this too and putting meaning to it you know Uh, you know meaning like i'm not good enough i will never be able to learn i'm not yeah i don't belong here right Mm -hmm.
1: And so what I've noticed in working with these families is that we have families that are like the parents are trying to do their best and they're focused on getting their kid to read, getting Mm the kid to read. Mm -hmm. How do I advocate the best that I can with the school district to get my kid the right interventions? And so they're fighting so hard to get the kids to read in elementary school, Mm -hmm. that they're missing the mental health component. Mm -hmm. So they might see their kid have, you know, those meltdowns at homework time mm-hmm. and they might, they might think like, oh, they're just a little bit emotional today. Mm-hmm. What they're not realizing is how many negative messages did that child internalize all, all, day. Day, mm-hmm. all day, six, long. six
0: hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so then, you know, they get this exhausted kid at the end of the day that yeah. it has really big emotions and they literally, wear their emotions literally held everything
0: together all day.
1: Yes. Exactly. And waited to
0: come home to release.
1: I get it. Yep. And so parents tend to think, okay, if my child, once they learn to read, everything else is going to fall into place. And what ends up happening is even if your child, right, they become functional readers and they can read before they hit junior high. If you haven't been compassionate and taking care of their mental health as well, What ends up happening is they go to middle school, which we all know is just so super duper fun. And (laughs) there's not a mean girl in sight in middle school, right? Right. (laughs) So what ends up happening is it's all of those internal messages come just screaming to the surface with hormones as well. And so you've worked so hard to get this child to read, but now they're decompensating because of their mental health. and now their mental health is directly impacting their ability to learn right and to be a successful high schooler
0: right wow so many ramifications long-term effects and i just want to start i just want to start a whole new kindergarten Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) well there's a lot of there's a lot of fantastic um, resources and i can actually Type up a list for you. If I don't know if you want, would be credit. fabulous.
0: You know what would be really great? Um, instead of talking about all of those great resources, let's talk about first. We'll talk about how people can connect with you. Um, okay. And then, and then maybe if you do send me a list of resources, I can plug all of that right in the podcast episode notes. So if people listen Perfect. to the episode and they're really interested in um, trying um, to reach out to any of these places or to you, they'll see it all there mm-hmm. in the notes. That'd be great. So tell everyone how they can get in touch with you if they wanted to contact you. Um, so we already talked a little bit about that um, nonprofit, no disability, which I will definitely share with my listeners. And I know that's not you, um, but it that's not like, me, but
1: it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Oh, it I'm no, I'm excited. Like anytime, anytime they can get some highlight. I'm very happy for that. Um, the best way to probably get in touch with me, if you wanted to learn more about you know, the mental health struggles with dyslexia and what dyslexia is and is not, go ahead and follow me on Facebook at Carrie, Carrie on coaching. Now my first name is spelled K E R R Y Carrie, because my family is from County Carrie in Ireland. (laughs) And so it's Carrie on coaching. And, um, my email address is Carrie at Carrieoncoaching.com. That one but I did I not have. So let me write that one real quick. Carrie okay. um, at uh-huh. at carryoncoaching.com. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> I'll make sure those are also in the notes. Um,
0: and is there, oh, and you also, Carrie Swims for Dyslexia. Is there a
1: page? Are you still doing things like that, or was that a one time? I am. Home? I am. Um, it, it took a couple of hits. So I I was building momentum. I did Catalina and then um I did a couple of I organized some open water swim relays for kids um, that had dyslexia, which was fabulous. I so bet. you'll see that you'll see that on Carrie Swims for Dyslexia. And you can find some of our videos on YouTube if you're interested in that. Carrie Swims for Dyslexia, type that in and you'll you'll find some of the videos. Um but then we got hit with Hurricane Harvey here in Houston. Oh, and yeah. so I was. I was kind of out of commission there as we were trying to recoup our house and rebuild, and then um, I got to swim um, 28 miles around Manhattan, which was absolutely a fantastic swim and the most beautiful swim, seeing basically all of Manhattan. Um, you did not get bored on that swim, that's for sure. Swimming by the Statue of Liberty again—that's
0: so what my nightmares are made of. Go on.
1: <laughs> I did not <laughs> sounds, hit any Sounds course. great. Yeah, did not hit any corpses or anything like that though. Um, I am still, wa- I'm watching the, Supra- re-watching the
0: Sopranos. So that's what that reminded me
1: of. I, I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld. There was an episode with Kramer where he was swimming um, in, in the, one Hudson. of the rivers. Yeah. I don't know, was it the Hudson? Yeah. Maybe. And, um, that's the river there. <laughs> <I think. laughs> the Hudson, And um, yeah, it was really funny because um, all of us as we're jumping in for the swim, have that in our mind, that Seinfeld episode. Um, but yeah, please, you can follow me there. You could send me an email, send me a Facebook. Um, my next swim is going to be in, you know, COVID now has, has taken a hit. So it's harder to do these international swims. Um, but my next one is the English channel and I have it arranged for June of 2023. Wow. And I'm super, yeah. And I'm really excited this summer. I'm going to Ireland to do some training, um, at the Cork Swim Camp in Cork, Ireland. So it's really mm-hmm. exciting. So anyways, yes. Yeah, so the Carrie Swims for Dyslexia, it's, it's still definitely going on. It's just COVID has definitely put
0: Well know, just traveling uh, alone to go to swim in, in Cork is would could potentially be an issue. So even just yeah, the training. Hoping-
1: yeah. Yeah, we're hoping that uh, the camp can still happen this summer, but by 2023, I'm bound and determined to swim from England to France. Absolutely. And I
0: hope that um, maybe if you add me to any kind of mailing list where people can help donate toward it, that would be fabulous. You can add me to that. Um,
1: That would be fabulous.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I could try to raise money here in in the Boston area at my shop. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. For swimming. Wouldn't that be weird? Just me. Ugh. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm going to ask you a question that just popped into my head. And if you yes. can, what would be one in a sentence or so one piece of advice that you would give a parent um, of a newly diagnosed child with dyslexia?
1: I'm pausing because I don't know if I can get it to one sentence, but I'm going to try. Well,
0: you know, it can be two. Make it <laughs> a run-on sentence. I was just trying to, you know, give you some- What, what I tell my
1: parents, but I, so I work with parents when, who have a child with dyslexia. Yes. My biggest goal is for them. I help them become the guides for their child's dyslexia. So, so I give them that roadmap I had from, for my son that other parents don't have for their kids that's and what so they my, need. They don't know what to do. Yeah. That's what they need. They need someone to be able to give them the help, you know, advice on academics, advice on the emotional, psychological, and social tools that dyslexia takes on people um, and the entire family unit and on parents, their stress levels. And their I absolutely love too.
0: that. So you are definitely someone that someone I know needs to go to to get at least that roadmap instead of just floundering.
1: know? Well, because otherwise what you do is you end up getting a little bit of information from over here, a little bit over here, a little bit over here. And unfortunately there's also a lot of pseudoscience out there. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who say they can cure dyslexia and people pay tens of thousands of dollars for their kid to be cured. And it's not, it's not a possibility. So there's a lot of snake oil out there. So what I would say, my biggest piece of advice for parents is to gather as much information as you can so that you know maybe not everybody can work with me but my goal though is that you need to create that roadmap and understand become an advocate if they're not already but
0: like really, yes. really learn all you can about it um and then you know your child to see what's best for them and take yes and
1: rate. and then you're going to know also kind of like what does dyslexia look like in middle school what does it look like in high school how does right. it look different in elementary and so when your child comes to you with a problem they may not be able to verbalize it because they don't, they don't actually know how to put it into words, the yep. shame they're feeling or something, but you're going to have that knowledge from mm-hmm. having educated yourself.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So there's just three last questions. Um, I ask everyone these questions. So you ready? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. It's been so nice to talk to you. Get to know you. Okay, here we go. When you are at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing?
1: Swimming. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say my most peaceful time is when I'm swimming with my son in open water. I love that, that he has the joy of open water as well.
0: Good for you guys. Okay. One book you would recommend to anyone, self-help, a life-changing book. And if in fact, because you did not enjoy reading and completely understand Um, you don't have to share any book, but I love, I listen to books now on Audible. I don't read books unless it's a really good one. Then I'll buy the actual book and I'll go after I've listened to it and I'll start highlighting all the things that I loved. So again, it doesn't need to be one that's read, whatever, if you have something that you would highly recommend to anyone, what would it be?
1: Well, I actually love to read, but I do Audible books um, and I fly through them. But my all-time favorite author, and somehow, if anybody knows him, get him this podcast, please, is David Sedaris. Oh, he's hilarious. (laughs) He is so funny. And so any of his memoirs, Me Talk Pretty One Day is probably- Oh my God, I
0: loved, loved, loved that. And when you listen to him narrate it, it's so great. It's so
1: funny. I I mean, I belly laugh the whole time, but my son- has been listening to David Sedaris since he was probably in fourth grade. Oh my God. We going, whenever we go on road trips, may not be the most appropriate. It does but not I matter. You,
0: it makes him a well-rounded individual.
1: <laughs> right, but he and I belly laughs so much at that. Yeah, he's and And David Sedaris, for Luca's birthday this year, I got him tickets and we're seeing David Sedaris live here in Houston in April.
0: Oh, congratulations, I'm so jealous. That's
1: exciting, (laughs) that's exciting. Okay,
0: thank you, yeah, he's great. Okay, last question. If money wasn't an object, what is it that you would be doing?
1: Wow, that's a good question. I, I think I'd be able to afford more international swims. So I, I would be swimming everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> I would probably love to live on an Island, um, somewhere exotic. So I could do lots of scuba diving as well. And, and honestly, I would be able to travel more and have more speaking engagements for dyslexia yep. because that
0: just raise awareness and perhaps funding that would be
1: fabulous. Yeah. And, and, and just to help all these parents and families that feel pretty desperate. Absolutely. Well, we need it. So thank you so much. Thanks for
0: all of the information that you shared with us today. It was so nice to talk to you. So nice to get thank to you know so you. Much. Yeah. And so nice to learn more about dyslexia, which is something that, um, again, uh, I thought as a teacher would, was really informational and helpful so I appreciate it you may be hearing from some of my listeners soon I hope <laughs> okay thank you so much I really appreciate it uh, thank you and everyone else I'll be back in, in just one more minute and here I am I am back just came back to say one more time thank you so much for joining us we are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more we can't wait to see you next time But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.